Well, hello, everybody, and uh, thank you once again for joining us on School Matters, our Dearborn Public Schools podcast. I am your Director of Communications for the Dearborn Public Schools, David Mustin, and I want to thank everybody for joining us here today. We've got a great topic, interesting topic, uh, visioning for our Dearborn Public Schools. Uh, I'm thinking about the movie Back to the Future, right? You know, Doc, you built a time machine out of a DeLorean. Uh, well, no DeLorean here today, and uh, but we are going to be doing a little bit of time travel. Uh, and first, I think what I'd like to do is is kind of back us up a little bit. Uh, let's let's go back in time, thirty years, nineteen ninety three. Uh, some of you maybe weren't even born yet, and some of you maybe were in school, or maybe you're old like me. And in nineteen ninety three, my kids. Uh, uh, were uh, almost in school. That's how old I am. So anyway, but let's back up. Think about 1993. Uh, Think about that time frame. Uh, President Clinton was being sworn into office. Uh, Michael Jackson appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show. Jurassic Park was in the theaters. Troy Aikman, since we're near near Super Bowl time. Troy Aikman and the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl, beating the Buffalo Bills in 1993, 52-17. Are we there yet? Are we feeling it? Are we feeling the backup? Are we feeling time travel? Are we there? So think about classrooms and think about schools and think about how we were set up and how the schools looked. Um, Most importantly, technology. It's plays such a huge part of our lives right now and such a huge part of school. In 1993, uh, the developers of the web, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, made the web open to everybody. Wow. No social media, nothing back at that time. In our schools, computers were set up in a separate classroom. It was, it was called a, a computer lab. Kids would go down there and and they would uh, get on computers. They would do something called keyboarding class, where they actually learned how to use the keyboard of a computer and computer mouse and what have you. Uh, classrooms looked different. Uh, how we evaluated students was different. We now we're so much more into project. Uh, based kinds of, of, of learning, individualized learning uh, to meet the needs of students. Back then, it, it, in 30 years ago, it looked kind of different. And in 1993, could we think about that all of us were carrying around this now? Could we all think in 1993 that in 30 years, we would carry around this, a little mini computer, that would do so much and connect us and give us so much information and so much technology. So now what I wanna do is I want us to now come to current times. Let's think about the future. Let's think about 30 years ahead. Let's think about where our schools, our classrooms are going to be 30 years from now, how that is going to look. And of course, uh, because uh, I am not, uh, you know, an expert on on that subject, uh, and I did not have Doc Brown available to uh, be part of the show today to give us a little bit of talk about time travel, I think I did the next best thing, and I uh, ask 
the folks from Fielding International to join us. Fielding International is a company that was uh, hired by the school board back in the fall of 2022, and their main uh you know, purpose for for joining us for uh, the board uh, looking for their services was for them to help us develop that plan, that 30-year vision for where we are headed. And not just, you know, looking at instruction, but our buildings. How our buildings look? How can we keep our buildings going? Are we going to need new buildings? Are we going to need to modernize our buildings? Uh, What about instruction and things like that? So enough of me talking about it. Let us bring in the experts uh, to help us uh, with all of this. And uh, the folks from Fielding International were kind enough to join us today on this podcast. So joining us uh, first is uh, Jessica uh, Stickler-Lipson, and uh, she is here with us. Uh, Hello, Jessica. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks, David. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you for joining us. Also, Mike Possumus. It, Mike, did I screw that up too bad for you? Uh, I'm sorry. No, that sounds great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yep. yeah. There's a, well, anyway, that name's common in, uh, I've, I've, around her, in uh, political circles. I've heard that name. It is. So, uh, yes. Yep. You're not running for office anytime too soon, are you, Mike? Not anytime soon in, uh, in Michigan, um, but really excited to be here and to talk about the future of school with you and uh all politics aside, what's great for kids. So. <laughs> great, Mike. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, just, or I'm sorry, uh, Janet Jefferson is also joining us here today. Janet, how are you? Thank you for joining us. I'm good, David. I'm so happy to be here today. Great. Uh, I, I hope you've uh, uh, recovered from the time travel uh, journey that we just took. 30 years back, 30 years forward, we're all over the place, but we're going to talk today um, I think first, what I, I just so that people understand the role that Fielding International uh, plays and what you're doing here in Dearborn, but more importantly, what you've done not only around the country but around the world as far as helping schools with this visioning process. Um, I'll, I'll let one of you jump in and, and kind of explain that role of Fielding International. Uh, thanks, David. So yeah, so we are um, we're an integrated team of architects, architects, designers, and educators. Um, and like you said, we design learning environments all around the world. So we're fortunate enough to have worked in over fifty countries and to be a part of innovative practices and discussions in schools across the globe. Um, so we understand the time travel situation. We know the world is changing quickly. Uh, and we believe that uh, that schools must be adaptable and ready for the future. Um, and so we really focus on alignment. So we talk a lot about alignment with the environment, the physical environment, and the vision for learning and educational programs that'll help learners thrive. And so for Dearborn, we're here to to help with this 30-year master plan, like you mentioned, which really outlines the the what, so what the scope of projects might be and the when based on timeline and phasing to determine the best approach to address address facility needs through a lens grounded in learning and teaching. And I'll let Mike and Janet jump in if they have anything to add. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to jump in. Um, You know, one of the things that is so exciting about our work is 
to not only engage with community and help understand uh, the future of learning and, and kind of the trends and opportunities that we see and how technology and just culture and society is changing and how schools are adapting to that, um, but also to bring the unique uh, facets of any specific community into the conversation because no place in the world does school exactly the same way. Um, even between Dearborn and your neighbors in Detroit or in Troy, the ways that teaching and learning occur in each of these individual communities is, is that have their own unique elements and, and cultural characteristics. And so um, not only do we get to think about the technical parts of space and program and vision, but also the cultural, um, the cultural and community elements that really ground and make school meaningful to a community, and that's that's one of my favorite parts of uh, doing the work that we do. Well, I think that's interesting, and maybe we can get into that a little bit more. But um, so, what in your experiences have you guys noticed um, changing in in the world of education? You know, for so many years. Uh, kids came into a classroom, they lined up in rows and desk and we packed, you know, I've, I've seen old pictures uh, in our district from the 1940s and 50s where, you know, there's 45, 50 kids in a classroom all lined up in desk. And, and we've moved away from that a little bit. Unfortunately, some of that still exists in some environments, but based on some of the work that you have done, that your company and your team has, have done in the past in different environments, how does that physical space, how is that physical space changing to impact instruction? That's a great question, David. Um, I think first we'd look at um, how, what teaching and learning looks like and what we're aiming for in the future, and then think about how space then needs to change to support that. As we're thinking about teaching and learning for the future, we are going to be more focused on the students. And so it's going to be more student-centered. And you even noted, you're like, oh, I'm seeing more project-based learning in Dearborn. I'm seeing more hands-on learning. So you're going to get a lot of different modes of teaching and learning, whether it be project-based or experiential or more cooperative group work. Um, and you're really going to be teaching to what the student needs to help them um, work on their challenges, but then also to really see them succeed and grow what the strengths that they already have and watch them blossom. Um, and even the content. So we want to make sure that the teaching and learning is more student-centered in what they want to know and what they're interested in and what's relevant to them. So they're going to be more engaged and exciting. And then that plays into space. Um, and so that space is going to support the sort of the flexibility that you need to have those different modes of teaching. Well, I love this whole kind of focus on the instructional part and the education part. I think sometimes we can get too wrapped up in the, you know, the the space part of it. And, and really that's kind of almost old school kind of way of thinking about let's, let's build this space and then make it work for the instruction where now it seems like we're we're talking more about the education, the instruction first, and then making the space match that. That's exactly right. Uh, what we know about high quality science-based research and what's good for kids and what great instruction looks like um, doesn't abandon all of the traditions of, of school. There are elements of what school has always done that still have to exist. Um, it is efficient and it actually works quite well to give a large group of students some direction on a specific activity. So 
not that we necessarily see rows of desks all the time, but you still might have a teacher providing guidance to a group of 25 or 30 kids all at the same time. Um, that can be effective. But now with technology, we have the ability to record those things. Kids can play it back if they missed a part of it. And then we can um, use space and furniture and time differently so that students can work together, use that technology to reference what they miss, to practice multiple times. Um, and that actually allows the teacher to then, as those students are working independently, to go around and provide a direct small group instruction to various groups of students. The space can support that um, in ways that a traditional classroom uh, maybe might struggle with. Uh, big classrooms, as, and as, as uh, you have many of in Dearborn and most schools around the world have, um, are really good at doing one thing together at the same time. And what we're seeing in the future is that there's more differentiated experiences happening at once. And so smaller nooks, crannies, little small group rooms, opportunities for a, a group of students to tuck away and really focus in on something, or even with more opportunities who, uh, for students who just need to um, maybe get out of a busy space and have a quieter environment. These are all the types of features that schools are adding that really make the environment far more conducive to this multifaceted variable experience that we know is good for kids based on the science of learning. And of course, this kind of does this, or maybe I, the question is, does this look different at each grade level as well for uh, elementary compared to high school? I mean, uh, there are different learning, obviously different learning needs and, and kids are at different maturity levels and, and education levels and that. So I, I would assume that it would look a little bit different at each grade level. That's exactly right. So in your early elementary, um, you're going to spend a lot more time building norms and um, uh, the, the sense of community and what it means to be a community. And so you might have more time as a, as a whole group with um, some opportunities to start building the skills of agency and independence. Um, but then as you, as you transition into more of a middle school level, that's where an individual really starts to form their own identity as, a, as an individual person and less as a member of a whole community. And so then you start to kind of create more opportunities for smaller group experiences, um, for individual student spaces. Um, so that, that transitions. And then as you get into high school, things that actually Dearborn is already doing, which is really exciting, is even more independent. So specializing in different areas of study, whether it's medicine or engineering, um, not only programs, but also spaces that are directly responding to the needs and aspirations um, of the individual student. And so you see a spectrum of opportunity, both in the competencies and skills of what students need to be empowered and be agents for their own success, but then also um, a range of opportunity going from more community-based to a far more individualized curriculum as you move through the sequence of a school. It's fascinating and very interesting and, and actually exciting to think about this change coming around and, and being part of it. And we're kind of right at that tipping point here in our district where I think we are, are really uh, at that point where we're ready to make that move into some of these, these kinds of new uh, learning spaces and, and, and developing those uh, in our district. So, so I think I'd like to move into that now because you, all of you have been working uh, here in Dearborn, uh, working with uh, our community and, and doing some focus groups uh, in Dearborn and, and spending a lot of time learning about uh, 
our school district. Uh, and so talking a little bit about that now, uh, moving to that a little, talking about what you have learned so far in your time that you've been able to spend here in Dearborn, the focus groups meeting with over 500 different people, students and parents and, and community members. Um, what has that taught you about the Dearborn Public Schools and uh, how, how, where are we now in that process? Yeah, Jesse, um, do you want to, yeah, as you say, Jesse, why don't you get started? Yeah, yeah sorry. There's a, a siren going by, so I was trying to feel that. <laughs> um, I think an overarching main takeaway that is really exciting is that there seems to be uh, consistent priorities among all of the stakeholders that we we engage with. So through the workshops that we conducted that you just spoke to, David, um, we we had the survey that went out to, you know, almost 1,800 respondents sent their answers and we visited uh, we visited all the schools in Dearborn and talked to the school leaders. Um, and people are excited about the opportunity to to move Dearborn public schools forward and into the future and really start, um, leaning into some of this for some of these varieties of spaces to support all of these activities. So that's that's great. The cohesion isn't something we always see in a district. And so to have that cohesion come out so clearly um, was really a highlight. Also, it's, Dearborn just seems like an incredibly strong community. Uh, people seem to stay there. There's a really beautiful community feel and energy. Uh, and every person, every group that we spoke with highlighted that uh, as a key pillar to stand on and that if we should have one takeaway that that should be the takeaway. Um, there also are some barriers that are getting in the way of achieving the vision. So there is some work to be done in the facilities and that's why we're here. So I think people are are clear on that um, and again, excited to move it forward. And there's a, there's a big desire to balance tradition and innovation. So there are a lot of beautiful historic facilities. So from a facilities perspective, uh, being mindful of what that means and what those mean to the community. Uh, but then also being mindful of when, you know, something new might have to emerge to really support what it is that Dearborn's trying to do. And I think that idea of balancing tradition and innovation spans between the facilities and then also the actual teaching and learning, right? Just like we've been talking about. Um, but I don't know, Mike or Janet, if you want to talk about some of the specific kind of learning activities and um, learning types that were, were brought to the surface. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, we heard from the community themselves that the love for hands-on learning and how that how important that is for students to make learning relevant and meaningful, um, to make sure that students are having real-world experiences that they can connect to. Um, students and teachers alike talked about the importance of differentiation um, and just this idea of a need first more space to breathe and to to play and have fun but just this concept of we just need a little bit more space um, and then hoping for more flexibility agility and variability in the spaces so spaces that can change to meet the needs of the students and the teachers um, spaces that have a larger um, span of of different types of spaces and different uses of space, um, and then spaces that can change quickly and that can pivot on a dime when um, teachers and students need to need to change it. 
Well, and, you know, with over 30 buildings in our district in just this in, in this decade alone, we're going to have over 12 of our buildings uh, turn over 100 years old. Uh, this is that already started uh, in 2022 with uh, Duval Elementary turning 100 and several more over the next uh, eight or nine years. So sometimes we can get a little too focused uh, as, and I say we as community members, as somebody uh, part of this community, we get very focused on uh, the physical attributes of a specific building. I mean, let's face it, that's just human nature, right? My kid goes to the school. I want the very best for this school. And, uh, but at the district perspective, we're trying to look a little bit more globally at the the broader needs of the entire district. Um, how do you guys kind of balance that when uh, working with the community, uh, balance out those very specific school needs, which we know are there. There are, there are most definitely specific infrastructure needs at specific schools, but we need to balance that with the greater need uh, and this bigger vision uh, for our district. And, and so how do you guys work with that and how do you kind of balance that? Uh, so I'll start okay. from a Thanks, less Mike. technical standpoint, <laughs> and then I'll hand it over to Jesse to correct everything that I say that's wrong. <laughs> um, so I, I want to talk just a little bit about the affordances and the constraints of any change um, and kind of the cost analysis associated with that. And not a technical cost analysis, but um, especially in a moment when school is transforming, um, there's often a cost to preserving something that is no longer suitable for what needs to occur. Um, and so there's a human cost in terms of the experience or the qualities or conditions of space. And then there's the actual financial cost of uh, you know, energy resources. Um, you know, many old buildings are not particularly well insulated or they have materials and resources that are a part of them that um, just aren't sustainable overall for the kind of long-term um, long operations of a school building. And so you know, there's no one specific formula that you can that you can use to say this building is worth preserving, or this building should be in, uh, renovated, or this building should be reconstructed in a new way. There's no one formula that you can use to do that. But to answer, I guess, kind of broadly answer your question, how do you begin to evaluate that? One of the things that's really important for a master plan for a school district is: is the facility suitable in terms of its construction, the amount of space available, how it serves a community to the future vision of school, and then what is that cost to renovate or to improve it in a way to continue to allow it to be suitable in the future. Um, and so th that's one major consideration for every building that's a part of the district. Um, so so that that's one major, I guess, one major piece to consider. Um, and then I'll also say, um, just in general, this this notion of like people become attached to things that are that are familiar or that you know maybe you had multiple family members um, come through and so you have a connection to it. Um, one element that I thought was really striking when I visited Dearborn was like kind of the culture of innovation um, associated with the auto industry in that community and the spirit of innovation. And at some point, there's this cost of balancing legacy and innovation. And so, what is the opportunity for a community so that to, to do something new, to do something exciting, to do something innovative, 
um, that they can then look back on and say, we did something innovative to build on the shoulders of the giants that came before us. And I think that's a really important thing to be mindful of that all communities go through these very macro level transformations at time at times, and Dearborn may be facing that way. As you mentioned, 12 buildings over 100 years old, this may be an opportunity to really think in, a, in an innovative way uh, about what teaching and learning in school and how it supports a community can be in the future. So that that's, a, I, I think, um, both kind of an answer and just a mindset that we like to think about and will help cultivate with Dearborn. Jesse, anything you want to add to that? <laughs> uh, well said. Um, I think I think you really hit the nail on the head with the overarching mindset and approach. Um, a, a little bit more boring and less exciting are just, you know, we're collecting tons of data points, right? So we have facility condition assessments and we're looking at enrollment projections to really understand the data behind what is needed. Uh, we know there's a certain level of baseline needs for facilities, right? So abundant controllable light, natural light, artificial light, reliable heating and cooling and ventilation. So all of these aspects uh, are being considered and like you said, balanced in terms of that that strike between innovation and, uh, and legacy. And so those are conversations that we're having and then that will ask you in the community for feedback on as well, because as much as we would like to, to be a really neat, clean equation, it's not, it's more nuanced to that. And we appreciate that. And that's um, that's what makes it exciting and gives it that human layer of connection. Well, Jessica, I think you set yourself up perfectly for where I'm going with the next question. And that is, um, uh, you, like I said, uh, you began doing some work here in Dearborn in the fall of 2022. Uh, there is a timeline and there is an end date to your work. Uh, not that we don't love working with you guys. We'd love to work with you for a much longer time. Uh, but there is an end date. Uh, as we're doing this podcast now, we are kind of in the at the end of January uh, and of 2023. And your end date is somewhere around March, April. Um, so as we look ahead, uh, what are... What does that plan what look like and what are your next steps uh, as you continue to work with the community in working on visioning this, this future for the Dearborn Public Schools? Uh, great question, yeah. Um, so we're really, we're currently developing scenarios, which are, we call them scenarios. They're really design approaches for how to organize learners across, across the district. And that's based on, uh, all of these data points that we were just talking about, um, including, you know, the big human factor and, and what Mike was talking about, letting teaching and learning le uh, lead and what we've learned about the vision of learning for, for Dearborn specifically. So we will be in Dearborn uh, in early February for community feedback to socialize some of our thoughts uh, and hear what, what everyone has to say and get their input. Uh, and then we'll be back in March to present to the school board after we've had some time to refine, work with the district, um, and come up with a recommendation. Sounds great. Sounds like a great plan. Um, I, we've covered a lot. And uh, it, as far as, you know, the instructional side, the facility side, and, and looking at that big picture, um, I hope that I've been able to touch on everything. Is there is there anything that I forgot to touch on that maybe you guys feels important uh, for us to mention as as we talk about this plan? 
Um, I think just one thing I don't know if we mentioned is is uh, something we've heard time and time again. It's really this idea of sustainability, but in a holistic way. So it's a mindset um, that is at the forefront of, of a lot of our work and it will be no different with Dearborn, but it's really design with sustain designing with sustainable principles in mind. So both for a building and for human health and well-being. Um, so that's just just something to add that I think is important. Yeah, great point, Jessica. Thank you for for bringing that up. I know that um, one of our schools, Salina Intermediate and Salina Elementary, are right now are working on really integrating in in uh, that outdoor classroom kind of environment. And not only that, but again, the sustainability uh, of the school footprint uh, on the neighborhood and on the community. And we are all way, way more aware of these things now. And it is an important part of uh, any design plans moving forward. So, uh, and I know that uh, you have some very good expertise in that area. So glad that uh, you're able to be part of this team uh, in, in bringing that to the, to that discussion to the table. So, well, great. Uh, that's where we are. And uh, I hope that our uh, travel through time a little bit to the back and forward. And now here we here we are at 2023. Uh, it is a big it is a big task. It is a huge task. But as I said, a very exciting time for us right now and a very exciting discussion to be taking place right now. And we are so very, very fortunate to have Fielding International working with us, bringing that expertise that they have from around the world, from projects they've worked on around the world and around our country, and and right here in Michigan as well. I, I, I shouldn't discount that uh, or leave that out. Um, you guys have, have worked uh, with other school districts right here in Michigan. So uh, uh, Janet, Jessica, Mike, uh, thank you. Uh, for taking some time to be part of us today, part of our podcast, and uh, sharing some of that great knowledge, I, th I think it was uh, I think it was a good conversation to have. Uh, I think it's important that people understand uh, the bigger picture moving forward. Thanks for having thank us. You so much. Yeah, it was great to have the conversation. Great. Great. And I want to thank everybody for uh, stopping in and listening to our podcast, School Matters. Uh, as I've always say, uh, as we wrap these things up, uh, our podcasts are designed to bring all the great information, all the great news, all the exciting, exciting success and accomplishments going on in the Dearborn Public Schools uh, to all of our listeners and our viewers. We hope that you continue to tune in uh, and uh to our uh, podcast here, to School Matters. Uh, we enjoy bringing them to you. And until next time, remember it's always students. students.